to another episode of the Aquatic Mentors podcast. I'm your host Katrina Van Eyck and in this episode I interview an industry professional who has followed her family's tradition into aquatics and has been involved in both the learn to swim and coaching side of aquatics in two different countries. So please extend a big welcome to the podcast for Hannah Watkins. Hannah started her career early in aquatics following the family tradition of swimming, competition and then teaching others to swim. She started her aquatics career in Wales before moving to the warmer climate of Australia with her husband and family. During her years of studying, Hannah has completed a degree in sport and health science and a master's in education, completing the latter while pregnant and finishing when her daughter was still a baby. Hannah and her husband Simon moved to regional New South Wales to retire and ended up starting their own swim school called Swim and Bith. Swim and Bith now runs in nine aquatic facilities covering three states. She prides herself on the work she does behind the scenes and enjoys converting swim schools from low-performing facilities to high-performing buzzing environments where the swimmers, their families and her staff are all valued and seen for the person they are. Hannah shares her knowledge about the Great Britain Swim Teaching Qualification, which promotes consistency through the industry, allowing easy movement of staff and swimmers between programs. She also shares how her daughter and husband are her driving forces and looks forward to seeing her daughter Sky grow and develop her confidence in the water. Through today's episode, Hannah shares some insights into her work as well as her thoughts on swimming and where she sees swimming moving to in the future. Please share the hidden gems you find in Hannah's interview on our Facebook page, Aquatic Mentors, and you'll find all her contact details listed at the end of the show notes. If you want to share your aquatic story, please contact me via my email, regionalswimclinics at outlook.com. I'd love to be able to share the story and the journey behind your time in aquatics. Check out our website, aquaticmentors.com.au, for our Season 1 ebook, which says the tips and tricks offered by our guests in Season 1. And let's dive in and find out more about Hannah's journey in swimming. So, Hannah, how did you start your journey in swimming? So I think like most people in swimming, I I started as a swimmer myself. My husband calls me a paddler, but I I was a swimmer. Not probably the elite level as some other swimmers that I know, but yes, I I was a swimmer and that then has given me the opportunity to pass on those skills. My mum and auntie come from a swimming family, I suppose, and it's just something that you do. You learn to swim and then you swim competitively and then you become a teacher it's just just what you do in my family (laughs) it's just the rite of passage that you you do (laughs) I love that is it different swimming in Wales than in New South Wales oh well it's a lot warmer over here (laughs) um I, I can't tell the amount of times I've had to bite my tongue when people say to me oh, I'm going to drop out for winter because it's just too cold. And I go to them, do you realise who you're talking to? If I didn't learn to swim in the cold, I would never have learned to swim. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> or, you know, when they say, oh, it's too wet today, it's too rainy. Um, well, you're going to get wet anyway, so, so yes. why not? But, uh, you know, there I suppose the physical differences. But to be honest, I don't remember too much about learning to swim or swimming competitively myself. But I do remember my very first swimming teacher. It was one of my mum's friends because, as I said, it's just what you do in our family. You learn to swim and then you teach it. But I wouldn't listen to my parents, just as most children. So she had to get her friend to teach me. And she was lovely. I just remember... She was firm but fair, and I think that's probably what's helped me become the teacher I am today. And then when I was teaching and having swimming schools in the UK, the consistency, I think that was a major difference over there. It was extremely consistent, whether you were, and I worked for probably six or seven different swimming schools when I was starting out being a swimming teacher, just because, you know, I had a couple of hours here, a couple of hours there, but it was the same program. So there wasn't that, okay, well, what swim school am I at today? What, what do I need to teach this child? It was very consistent. Whereas when I moved to Australia, I felt, I suppose guilty might not be the right word, but if I tried to work at different other swim schools, I don't think people would like it. So I ended up just staying and I started working for Next Generation, which is a private swim school down in South Australia. I started there just because I was studying my sports science degree and I was a member there and they saw me and they thought, said, well, don't you know how to teach swimming if you're doing a sports science degree? And I was like, oh, yes, I kind of do. <laughs> and then they roped me in and then I ended up being the supervisor there. So, um, yeah, it was a, a quick, quick changeover from being a member of the gym to running their swim school for them. I love that you just get thrown in the deep end because you just showed some slight knowledge. <laughs> yes, and I think, you know, that's that's just me, though. I think if anyone knows me, they'll say that I'm all or nothing. I sink or swim, whatever terminology you want to use. But if I do something, I do it and I do it as best I can. Yeah, I love that. And I think the fact that you're able, when you first started as a swim teacher, to be able to go from different programs and to be able to build up those hours, I think that's one big complaint, especially here in regional areas, is that swimming's not a full-time job. There's nowhere to go with swimming. You do a certain amount of hours a day and that's really it. But if you have the opportunity to jump from swim school to swim school, especially in a metro area where you get so many swim schools in a short space, that would be a great for people to be able to have that full-time work and actually have a career in aquatics. Oh, definitely. And I think that's... I suppose the difference, we, we used to call them lifers back in Wales because they were just literally there for life. They started as a lifeguard when they were 16, ended up teaching swimming, then ended up being duty managers and they were there until they retired. But I just don't think there's that same attitude or same career path for people in Australia because people do swimming teaching when they're studying to do their real job. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is there isn't that pathway or clear pathway out there or advertised pathway out there. How do you think we can change that or can we change it? Oh, it's definitely changeable. Everything's changeable, but I think you've got to get the right people delivering that message. If you've got people that are self-proclaimed experts tooting their own horns saying we've got to do it this way, 
yes, people might jump on that bandwagon, but it might not be that what's best for the industry and what's best for the country. So in my opinion, it, it's, a, it's a bigger conversation than probably me, but it's, it's changeable. I think you've just got to get the right people involved to make that change happen. Yeah, I think that's it. I think being, bringing awareness to the actual industry to be able to show the other points of view that it is not just a filler while you're at university. There's so much more you can do with it because, you know, there's always that idea out there that if they can't see it, they don't know what it is. People, if they can't see that you can build a career in aquatics, they don't know that there's opportunities out there to do it. Definitely. And, well, me and Simon have just appointed someone that's in their final year of master's of teaching because she thought she wanted to be a school teacher but didn't really know how to do both. And I said, well, of course there is. You just need to talk to us. There's definitely opportunities for you to create this to be a full-time role with guidance and support and assistance. And I suppose that comes down to having the right mentors in place and Mm. having those ideas to be bounced off each other. And again, it comes down to having the right people lead in this industry. Yeah, and I think that's it. The right people leading the industry, but also as a, A swim teacher having, like you said, that mentoring base or those people we can actually go up and feel confident enough to ask questions and then take on board what they have to say. Yeah, and we're very fortunate at the moment that there is this generation coming through of I can talk, I can speak to anyone because we've given them the I am woman type thing and I can do everything or just do it or whatever slogan you want to use. But you're always going to get those amazing little swimming teachers out there that can't do that and how do we turn those swimming teachers into the future of swimming because no one's going to put themselves out there if they don't feel like they can I know myself I would never have put myself forward I always wait for someone to see the result and then give me a job even actually my first full-time job in Australia I didn't get it for the first time, but they gave me a different job. And then they saw that the person that they did give my job to um, wasn't doing a very good job. and said, oh, Hannah, do you want to give it a shot? Let's give it a trial for six months. And I turned that swim school around for the best seven. Wow. So I think it's, it's again, it's a conversation probably bigger than me, but. You've got to cater to everyone and understand that there's differences in personalities, whether that's you teaching swimming, managing staff, being a a person yourself trying to get into the industry and being able to cater to all those people. Yeah. I think it's also a good couple of points that you made was giving opportunities and allowing them to feel comfortable to talk to you about, you know, those opportunities and what are out there. But also looking at these new swimming teachers as the future of swimming. Like I was talking to someone and I said about us eventually moving to Queensland and who's going to be taking over in regional Victoria for presenting. Now, I'm not saying I'm the only presenter and I'm tooting my own horn here, but I want to leave regional Victoria set up, ready to go, that I've put myself into this. I want it to be able to continue and not, you know, the work I've done, not just to go out and encourage people to take on these courses and do this work and then leave them high and dry. 
And I sort of thought to myself, I'll be able to come back. And then someone said to me, well, we've got to look at who's going to replace us, who's going to be the next Katrina here, or who's, who's going to take on that role because you can't do it forever. So we need to be able to train those people to build up and take on our role. If they choose to do something else, then that's their choice. But if we can help them and give them that opportunity to take on these roles and then we can go off and do something bigger and better. Oh, definitely. And I think that's something that we all need to understand is everyone's replaceable. And for the industries to survive, we need to put those plans in place. If I'm not here, what's going to happen? Yeah. And I've, I've had to do that as a learning curve myself. I know when I was in my first role and I was doing everything, I wouldn't let anyone do anything because <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't doing it right. Or in my opinion, they weren't doing it right. Yeah. And I was going away for my wedding and I thought, well, who's going to do it? Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of that realisation of, oh, okay, well, the world is going to keep turning whether I'm here or not. Yes. And yeah, we've got to have those plans in place so that, and I suppose be okay with it as well as a person, because I feel that a lot of the successful people in this world, they are a bit controlling and driven and they don't want to let go but in order for us all to understand and do what we want in this industry we need to make sure that we are having that plan in place of who's going to be here when I'm not here will they be able to pick up the reins have we got all the procedures in place that they can just run with it and if we haven't then we haven't done our job yeah that's exactly it yeah We've got to set it up because we've got to make, you know, we come into this industry for the purpose of teaching kids to swim and sharing such a great knowledge and sport. We want to be able to continue that on. You don't want to find that, okay, now I've got to retire and sorry, see you later, that's it. Yeah, no one can, no, no one can learn to swim now. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Sorry, that gone. <laughs> see ya. Yeah, I'm, I'm the only one that can teach. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's bigger It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than anyone. And I think when people realise that it's not about them and it's about the swimmers, then I think we'll move forward. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely perfect. Might drop to that. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Clink. Yeah. <laughs> So we've sort of already spoken about this already, and I think this is going to be the way of the interview. You're going to answer the questions before I get there. <laughs> <laughs> but what's been the biggest lesson you've learned in your swimming journey so far? I suppose to recognise the person, whether that's a little child in my class or whether that's a team member that's working with me or for me or a manager of mine. I think I've just got to acknowledge them as a person. And what I mean by that is, for instance, and my little girl, and again, I'm not tooting my own horn. She's not going to be the next Olympian, even though Simon thinks she will be. Um, <laughs> 2032, not long. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. She'll, I think she'll be 14. And he was like, oh, yeah, she could do that. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. She could. I know. But I, again, it's recognizing them as a person. And you know, if you look at a two-year-old, you may look at them and think, oh, no, they're not going to be able to swim. They're just poo. Or you may see someone walk in in a full burka and you think, oh, no, they're not going to be able to swim. You might 
have a team member next to you and you might think, oh, they're an amazing swimmer because they can teach them in. They may just be talking the talk and not actually be able to do it themselves. And I know someone that does that extremely well. (laughs) Oh, you're the same. (laughs) I'm a slow swimmer, but I can talk the talk. (laughs) Oh, one of our our really good friends, Deb Totoli, she will openly say that she cannot swim, but she's created some very good swimmers. Um, And and again, you know, like a team member working for me, appreciating them as a person. You don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know their background. And I suppose it's about getting to know them so that you can get the best out of them. One of, one of the team members that worked for us only said to me yesterday, Hannah, I'd love how you just find out what our strengths are. And then you give me a job based on that, not trying to make me do a job that you've created. And I said, well, of course, why would I ask you to be phoning people, chasing for money, if you don't like confrontation? Like, that's just not going to work. So it's about recognizing them, I suppose, as individuals. And then as a boss, as a manager, I know I wasn't the best manager when I started, but I feel like I've got better. I've still got a lot to learn, but I've learned from the rights and the wrongs of some of my previous managers. I, I still respect all of them, but I don't want to be like some of the managers that I've had in the past. But I also want to be like them in certain ways so yeah I think it's it's just about seeing people as people and not stereotyping or reading the cover instead of the the book you know like I'm not very good at saying but I hope you get the gist of it I love it so yeah that that's I suppose one of my biggest learnings is just identifying and recognizing that anyone can do anything and you take the good and the bad all of them and you create the best possible person that you can of yourself and them yeah I love that that's exactly right knowing the person they're not just someone if we're talking as a worker they're not just someone that works for you there's actually a human being in there and you know they're trying to do the best job with the skills they have I really like the fact as you said you know if they're not good at something why putting them in that situation that's only going to cause them to panic and feel bad about themselves work towards their strengths I mean there's always something that we've got to do that we're not strong at (laughs) but I think that's fantastic that to be able to see that as a manager and and you do adapt and you learn the more you try stuff the more you adapt and it's to be able to see that involvement in yourself and how you've evolved and changed but also to be able to see in people still respect them and what they do but know that okay I don't like that side or I don't like what you did here and you can build yourself you don't have to be a clone of anyone else but you can take good parts out of people to evolve and become that brilliant human being you are yeah yeah and I think I was very fortunate when I was starting out I was quite young and I was given the opportunity for some executive coaching as part of a council leadership group. And it was one of the best things because it makes you stop and think. And then you're not in the business, you're on top of it. And it just gives you the opportunity to think about, okay, well, am I doing things right? Am I, can I do things slightly differently? And sometimes you might think, oh no, I am doing everything right. But nine times out of 10, I'm pretty sure you can find one thing minimum that you would do a bit differently. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think you just got to try it and see and take that time to do your own personal development. Um, yeah, you know, learn and it's you. hard. Yeah. It's so hard because you're so busy, especially in summer because everyone in Australia comes in summer and then doesn't in winter. Um, <laughs> but you've got to. You've got to give yourself that little bit of time to, or even if it is in winter when you've got that downtime, recognise Am I doing the right thing? Reflect on it and then move forward. Yeah, that's exactly it. I love it. So what's been the highlight of your swimming journey so far? Oh, gosh, that's a big one. Um, I think probably just the results that I've put out there, as I think I said to earlier, I'm not the type of person that talks about myself. I let the results do the talking. And to, I love going into places, identifying where things can change. I'm a big data report type person, understanding where the weaknesses are and turning them around. Um, I know I turned one swim school around. They only had 750, 800 kids a week. And when I left there, it was over 3,000. Wow. And that was, oh gosh, about three years Wow. So, and as, as we said earlier, there's so many kids around. It's just about how you, I suppose, manage the product yes. to be able to get them attracted into swimming. So, yeah, and then, you know, even myself with trying to juggle being a mum and a wife and, and now a business owner, we moved up to northern New South Wales to try and retire. <laughs> um, that, that kind of went... And a bit south. So Something went wrong there. <laughs> I know, I know. So we were working for people. And then when we left Sydney, Simon was like, oh, well, there's not really two jobs up here for us. So I'll coach and you just figure out what you want to do. Yeah. So that's when, after doing my sports science degree, I started my master's of teaching at the same time as I fell pregnant with my daughter. So I did a master's of teaching whilst pregnant. Oh, I, I remember doing my first prac when I was six months pregnant with wow. kindergarten kids. Oh, <laughs> and no. I remember I was supposed to have done my second prac in the September and my mum and I was due to give birth to Sky at the end of August. And I said to my mum and Simon, oh, I could do it. Like if they let me, I'll do it. Because I was one of those people, I'll just pop them out and yeah, I'll go back to work. <laughs> And then I soon realized that that's not how life works when you become a mother. But yeah, so I, then I did my second crack and finished my masters of teaching in two years whilst with a newborn. Um, and wow. we also had, we turned our business from one pool to nine now in that time as well. So again, the results. I think that <laughs> that is my biggest achievement is just making making shit happen <laughs> I love it um, Simon will say he's the name he's the one that um people know and I'm the one that actually does everything <laughs> <laughs> what is it behind every successful man there's a little woman just pushing it along behind them <laughs> yes yes oh I love that well I mean there's been many stories of Things, you know, like Walt Disney. Walt Disney had all the ideas and it was his brother that came through and um, actually built the business and put it into place. Um, 
Mike Boris says the same, the Australian um, millionaire, billionaire, whatever, <laughs> a business coach. He says exactly the same. He puts the ideas out there and then it's him and his brother who go through and stitch it up afterwards and build those programs. So to make a great team like that and for you to be able to put that work in, but know your own strengths that you can be pregnant and still pull off your master's degree and after being pregnant as well with having a young baby on board I think you know that's amazing and that just shows your strength and determination and then to be able to build it from one pool to nine when you're meant to be retiring I am um, I'm interested to see what's next <laughs> oh I'm not <laughs> now as you said it takes a team and I think that's whether in a partnership as a couple a marriage or whether in a business or the industry it takes a huge team to make stuff happen and if you keep working on everyone's strengths then things will change and things will happen but you've you've all got I suppose recognize where your strengths are at and then move forward that's right I love it Sorry, I'm Simon's sick. not Simon's normally the talker. I I don't talk. He's head down do the work. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm just loving the fact that you don't want to see what's next. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, Sky goes to school next year, so maybe I'll have a bit more time on my hands, and I might be thinking differently. <laughs> That's right, definitely. <laughs> Plenty of time. Yeah. So was there anyone that's played a big role in your journey, a family member, mentor? Gosh, um, I think everyone that I've worked with or been around has had an impact on my life. But, and I hate to say it, but my husband is a pretty big one. <laughs> and, yeah. and my daughter, you know, they just seeing them in their respective strengths it gives me so much pride just yeah like I hate Simon coaching I'm not gonna lie I think any wife of a coach would be lying if they say that they love that their husband's a swimming coach but when he's doing well and I can see him on pool deck he's just glowing and shining and seeing him talking to other people in the industry and networking that's what he loves he loves talking about swimming I've always called him since we met when I was 17 he's a little swimming guru because he loves swimming it's like just his passion yeah and then my daughter she's just amazing just seeing her face light up when she sees the water yesterday she was coaching with me and I didn't bring a swimming costume normally I do I only had a towel and she stripped naked and got in the pool. I was about to say. <laughs> because she she just loves it. She loves it. And it has such an impact. And it gives me, I suppose, that reason of, yes, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Just to give people the opportunity to do what they love. Yeah. And then so, it makes me love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To be able to see what they do and see what they can achieve, whether it be Simon or Sky, to just the amazing impact you're making and giving them the opportunity the world's at sky's feet because of the fact that she knows how to swim and she loves the water she could do so much swimming impacts so many parts of your life and gives you so much opportunity and then to be able to give your 
partner in life the opportunity to shine and and see the fact that what you can do to give them that opportunity and what they can do to give you that opportunity just I love it just how that makes you proud and be able to continue what you do yes (laughs) some people would say I'm silly but yes (laughs) (laughs) definitely not but I think Simon's gonna uh, need to give you a bit of flowers and stuff for those wonderful <laughs> comments, flowers and chocolates. <laughs> Such lovely yes. comments. <laughs> so, what advice would you give to a new swim teacher or coach coming into the industry? I think we've already touched on it a little bit, but seeing the swimmer as a person and always reflecting on what I did well, what didn't I do well. It's one of those things that you hate doing as a, as a teacher, but you have to because otherwise you're not going to grow. So when you have a class, you're not going to have an amazing class every single time. If a teacher out there says that they are the best teacher in the world and they never have a bad class, I would love to see them in action. Let's put them on a big screen because I know that that's not reality. So going back after that lesson and just thinking well what did I do what could I have done differently why wasn't that kid doing what I needed them to do I know I was coaching this morning and I said stop asking me why just do it and then I thought afterwards maybe that's not the right thing to do (laughs) to a 20 year old swimmer but sometimes they need to hear that in the moment yeah Later on, yes, maybe I should have explained why I'm asking them to put their hand in that position because if they're interested, then it means that they care. And it's the same with your four-year-old in the water. Why are they screaming? I want my mum. I remember as a swimming teacher, I had a kid screaming in my ear constantly, I want my mum, I want my mum, and I just screamed back at him, I want my mum too. And he looked at me as if to say, really? And... (laughs) I do today. I I do because you've just been screaming at me. (laughs) And and he just stopped. And then I was like, and then he managed to talk to me and find out why. Well, why do you want your mum? Because I'm hungry. Well, fine. Well, now we know why. So I think always having that in the back of your mind is why. Why am I doing this? Why has this happened? Always challenging yourself as a coach, as a teacher. And challenge the people that you're working with to understand well why and get stuff done yeah yes I love it I love the fact that it's why you there and being able to self-assess what you did well and what you can improve but also why is the swimmer there why have they taken that choice to come to to learn to swim let alone your swim school why are they there to compete what drives them and that's something Wayne Goldsmith says a lot what drives them to be at the pool and um, swimming why are you there what what drives you to be teaching or coaching and to get up and go to the pool every day and especially for swim coaches getting up at four in the morning to be at the pool at five I still don't understand that I know I did that this morning and I am not a morning person I'm normally an afternoon person Simon's great in the morning I'm great in the afternoon we, we, we're a good team like that But yeah, you've got to understand why, because otherwise you're wasting everyone's time, your time, the parents' time, the swimmers' time. If there's not a good reason why you're doing what you're doing, 
then it's probably time to hang up your watches if you're a coach or have a chat to your parents if you're a swimmer and you're in, at that stage where your parents still forcing you to swim or have a chat to the parent and say, well, why are you forcing your kid to swim? Yeah. And I think also, you know, it's that sixth sense as a coach and a swim teacher, you're able to get that knowledge. And I think you need to be able to say, you know, what's going on here, take that time, ask the parent, because there's not many parents out there that'll actually push their kid to do something because they don't like their kid. Normally no. because their kid's showing some talent and they love the kid and they want the kid to succeed. So they think that's the best way of going about it. You know, take that time, get to know them, speak to them, understand instead of bitching and moaning about bloody parents and they do this and they do that. Get to know these people and know why they're there. Yeah, because we all know that if a swimmer swims great, the swimmer and the parents done a great job. If the swimmer swims crap, the coach has done a bad job. Job, yeah. But it's a team. We've all got to have the piece of the puzzle to create that success, whether that's competitively or teaching. Yeah, exactly right. I love that. Well said. (laughs) So for you, what does swimming look like into the future? Oh, a bit controversial, but I think consistency. Being in the UK and having that consistent program, I know starting out as a swimming teacher it was so much easier I left my course knowing how to teach swimming yes I got better with more experience and knowledge but I could teach a lesson and I know that I I could Simon did say that he was going to he actually taught me to be a swimming teacher so (laughs) he (laughs) did tell me that he would have failed me on the first time but we were dating at the time and I was very nervous (laughs) (laughs) So the the process in the UK of becoming a swimming teacher, it's so much more rigorous, but you get better quality teachers at the end of it, in my opinion, because you walk out of that course, you've got the skill to run the program that's created for everyone in the UK, or at least it was 12 years ago now, I think, or 13 years ago when we left. Whereas in Australia, everyone's fighting about those key points of difference and why am I doing things differently and why you should be coming to me and not Joe Bloggs down the road. Whereas if we're all working together for that same common goal of giving people the opportunity to learn to swim, get those grassroots, lots of people swimming, then move them into keeping them in the sport then you're going to get those people succeed in the Olympics and other things like that competitive, competitively. Yeah, I love that. And it's about, I think that's the thing, like we've got to look at the grassroots and that bottom section of swimming and that entry level to learn to swim is consistent. It is the same everywhere. It's learn to swim. Yes, the facility can, you know, do better at babies and toddlers, but we've still got to have that consistency where we all have a standard of swimming that we teach and we bring in. And then, yes, your swim school has some speciality, but then you know where you can divert them off if they want to do different opportunities. Definitely. Um, And I know from a parent, that's what you want. You want swimming to be easy. You don't want to have to phone another swim school because you've moved and this one's closer and have to explain what your child did in the other swimming lesson. You just want to be able to say, okay, well, I was a seal in this swim school and then just say, okay, well, you're a seal here. Yeah, 
it's it makes it easy for the parent and then I think you get more swimmers in the water yeah that's right yeah and just transfer over instead of having to be assessed every time and see what's changed yeah because you know that yourself if you have someone that turns up to your swim school and they're five years old and they said oh yeah I was in squad alarm bells start to ring but some swim schools do call things squad if they can swim 25 meters freestyle and backstroke yeah yeah but it's yeah it's, it's your interpretation of swimming and yes. that's the same conversation you would have with any parent okay well yes your child can swim but your interpretation of swimming is very different to mine and it may be very different to Katrina's or anyone else I know my interpretation of swimming is different to Simon sometimes <laughs> so and that's in the same business and in the same marriage so he was a swimmer I wasn't so it just really depends on that basic principle of why we're doing it and if we want to the industry to grow we need it to be consistent so the same consistent message is getting across and we're not all fighting each other whether that's industries, swim schools, swimming teachers, parents, whatever. We just need to work together. Because, I mean, as a new swim teacher coming in, what does it look like when they come in and they want to be part of the industry and there's the opportunities out there, but, oh, no, you were taught this way, we do it this way. It just looks like a a big hot mess, I think, for a lot of them to come in. Yeah. And then you're not going to get those lifers of people staying in the industry longer because they're so confused about one person telling them one thing and another person telling them another thing. There's no consistency. Yeah. So how long was the course in the UK? How, so we do a one-day course Gosh. here. Now you're testing me. Um, <laughs> Simon would know it because he used to present it. But I know, I think it was... You had to do your level one to begin with, and that was to be an assistant teacher. So you weren't actually allowed to take your own classes. You just had to assist another teacher. Yep. Um, so you had to do that. And I think it was a five-day course with a written exam at the end. Wow. And a, and a, and a workbook that you had to complete. Yeah. And X amount of hours. I can't remember the hours that you had to do, but that was all before you finished your course. And then your level two was... It may have been a 10-day course. I know it was more than the level one. And again, a written exam at the end. But it, what I loved about it, it's um, it all linked to the UKCC, so the UK Coaching Certificate, I think it's called. So if you were a level one in basketball, for instance, you had the same foundational skills as a level one in swimming. Because we all know communicating is the same whether you're in the water or bouncing the ball. Yeah. And then you had the sports-specific details then that you had it on extra. Wow, what a good idea. Again, consistency. Why are you getting people to pay an extra $1,000 for a course when they've already learned X, Y, Z as part of another course? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And I, I found like when I first moved, uh, no, when I first went to university, I did being a Kiwi originally, correspondence, a couple of courses, uh, correspondence through Massey University in New Zealand. And then I just started to go here in Australia. And to actually transfer what I did from New Zealand to Australia, you had to pay. And then a lot of it wasn't passed on. 
they looked at the qualifications said it's unlikely that this will come across as an Australian accreditation I'm like it's New Zealand it's just across like it's another western country like what's going on I have Filipino families here that they come across in the Philippines one of the ladies was a vet she was had done all her uni qualifications as becoming a vet come over to Australia it's not seen as good enough and so she can't be a vet she works in a piggery yep like and it's the same in any industry you know as a school teacher I can work in New South Wales because I'm based in New South Wales but if I want to work in Victoria or Queensland I have to go and get a whole new registration and pay more and I live an hour away from the border so technically I could work in Queensland and New South Wales but I'm not going to go and pay extra money to register in Queensland as well. But wouldn't it be amazing if we had one universal qualification, one universal program, one universal drive to give everyone the opportunity instead of little bits, little bits, little bits. If we all had that same message, Jamal, just look at what the Kids Alive team have managed to create and how much impact they've had on people's lives yeah if we could do that across the whole country it would be amazing yeah that would be and across the whole sport yeah and for a country that's already have swimming as you know just a a standard pastime as part of their culture would the change would be absolutely amazing well as i said earlier when we moved over to Australia, we thought that Australia had this magic recipe of teaching kids to swim because how else would they be creating all these amazing Olympic swimmers? But there is no recipe. There's just those little pockets of brilliance that you've had over time that have created these successful athletes. Yeah. Well, that's my opinion. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Some people might think they're doing an amazing job and they probably are. But yeah, the, everyone's doing everything differently or slightly differently, or they're trying to do something differently so that they can get one over or do that something slightly different so that they can get more swimmers. Whereas if we're all just on the same hymn book, it's going to make it easier for everyone and going to create more swimmers. Yeah, I love that. Very true. Here we are. That consistency is the key. I love it. <laughs> well, it's what we preach to our swimmers. So exactly. why we preach it as an industry? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So how can we as an individual and as an industry promote and develop learn to swim as well as competitive swimming to encourage more participants? But can we do all that with less funding? Well, I suppose for your first time, we all just need to be actively promoting and actively showing the benefits. There's a lot of studies out there that you can look up. And as long as you're giving facts, then people will listen. It's not, oh, well, Hannah said this or Katrina said that or Simon said this or whoever. It's the facts. If you learn to swim at a young age, you are going to see benefits in X, Y, Z. If you put X amount of hours in the water training, you're going to see results. If you are giving those facts to people, people will make their own mind up. 
And of course, you can make it as attractive as you can. Make it not an individual sport. Make it a team. Engage people that way. Try and keep them in the sport longer. Long-term athletic development. Put that in your program so that they don't just wither off at 12, 13, 14. Keep them in the sport because then they might become swimming teachers. Then they're still in the sport. And... I suppose from the funding side of the things, there's a, there's a lot of ways to get money, but there's a lot of ways to do things for free. Yeah. And I think it's about understanding and connecting with people, one that can either get the money for you or are willing to do things for, for free or recognizing those areas that the opportunities to be able to do it. For instance, we work with PUT Sport um, in Queensland at one of our pools there. They recognized that there was an opportunity for their international students. So they've got funding from there and they just hire us because they know that they can't teach them in. So they hire us. So we want to get more swimmers in the pool. So why wouldn't we partner with someone that, that wants to do the same thing as us? Yeah. Yeah, and that's it. You can come together and work together. For the advantage, like we've said, having that one consistent image of getting those people in the water and learning to swim. Yeah, this is swimming. It's not me swimming, you swimming, them swimming. It's us. We need to be us. Yeah, I love it. That consistency comes through. And the opportunity, you know, maybe we do need to find those one or two people or more in our states that are great at uh, getting money and getting money into the industry and leave that part to them and then bringing that consistency in for us as individuals. And I love your point on promoting. It is up to us to promote, but stick to the facts. Don't make it airy-fairy. Say, yeah, like you said, the research is done. Use that research to be able to emphasise what swimming can do and how it can build better people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think coming down to what we were saying earlier is the strengths of people too. Why would you force someone to go and get money and fund and funding if they're not very good at it? Why would you force someone to go into a preschool and promote how great swimming is if they're not very good at it? Give people the jobs that they can do and then things will start to change. Yeah, I love that. That's exactly it. Yeah, if you're not confident public speaking with kids, don't put them in there. Yeah. Yeah. Because the kids will eat them alive. (laughs) So true. Gotta love kids, but they will. They can smell fear. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) definitely. I love it. So you've had so many amazing thoughts and opinions here, and I think it's fantastic to be able to take that opportunity And I think also for you to be able to share what it was like in Wales compared to here and take those good points out of both areas, I think that's fantastic for you to be able to share to my audience. So thank you very much. No problem. Thank you for having me. That's all right. Anytime.